Ave Maria Press has been publishing Catholic books and resources for more than 150 years, and they are located right on the north side of the Notre Dame campus. Visit AveMariaPress.com for a wide selection of spirituality books, classic Catholic literature, and even books for families. You can also find podcasts and free downloadable Catholic content. Visit AveMariaPress.com and receive 25% off your order with code REDEEMER. Ave Maria Press, helping people to know, love, and serve God. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and our listeners. With the right kind of care, support, and attention, the last days and months of an aging loved one's life can become a source of new life for those who draw near to them. My guest today witnesses to this splendid, glorious truth in her new book about accompanying her father through death into life. Noreen Madden McInnes is the Director of Liturgy and Spirituality for the Diocese of San Diego and author of the book, Keep At It, Riley. The book's title is a saying passed down through generations of Noreen's Irish Catholic family, the Maddens, who never quit in the face of challenges in life and never quit on each other. In her testimony of journeying with her father and her mother toward their deaths and ultimately into the love of God, that resolve and resilience is shown to be a profound commitment to the dignity and beauty of the aged, the infirm, and the dying. Noreen's book is part of the Magenta series from New City Press, which is committed to healing the ills of polarization by uplifting visions that heal and unify, especially for and in the church. As for me, I'm Leonard DiLorenzo. This is Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life and the Spoke Street Media Network. I'm glad you're here. Noreen, welcome to the show. Oh, Lenny, thank you so much for inviting me to come on. Now, Noreen, you've dedicated much of your life to Catholic liturgy, including professionally as a liturgy director. You know, as I was reading your testimony about not only accompanying your father at the end of his life, but also the sudden death of your mother at that time, I was struck by how much the liturgy and the church's rituals shaped both the experience and then your memory of the experience. So I wondered— this might be a good place for us to begin our conversation. What did the liturgical life of the church, what did it give you? What did it give your family? What did it give your parents during those times? Well, you know, growing up Irish Catholic, my life was steeped in liturgy and ritual. So that was just as close to me as my breath. So, you know, the benefit is, is that Liturgy speaks to us through a language of love. It, it transcends words. It communicates to us love through symbols. And a wonderful example is when I first started going back and forth from California to mountaintop Pennsylvania to accompany my parents as, as their life was getting challenging with age and illness. One of the times my father was homebound, my mother called the church to have Holy Communion brought to the church by whether the communion ministers, it was a neighbor and longtime friend. And 
as she's waiting for him to arrive, she gets out this glass candlestick that's shaped as a crucifix. And she puts a white candle in it and lights it. I said, Mom, what is that? I've never seen that before. She said, oh, yeah, this is the candle that my mother lit for my father when he was sick and communion was being brought to him. So already with that just simple vision of this candlestick that my grandmother was lighting for my grandfather just just shows the witness of faith for generations in my family with such a powerful image as the Eucharist is being brought into the home, that the hem of Jesus' garment is being brought to my dad when he was ill. And also during that time, my I would go with my mother to morning mass. She was a daily mass goer, and we'd go over to St. Jude's, and we'd have to go early uh-huh. because she had a, a novena to St. Jude and a couple others. She'd get in before mass, uh-huh. and then the beautiful... 20-minute mass at most. And then and then after mass, she'd make her rounds. She liked to go to the statue of St. Jude and light this giant $5 candle in front of him. And then she'd go to St. Therese of Lisieux, but she'd always end up at the Pieta. And she'd stand before the Pieta and look at me and say, you know, I want to go to Mass on Sunday and be buried by Saturday. Like, okay, I just not, you know, she was yeah. 82. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, Mom. But then one day when my dad was in the hospital and I, I was back in San Diego and I got a phone call that my mother was killed in a car accident on her way to the hospital. So she died so suddenly, so tragically. The surprising thing was that she actually went to church on Sunday and she was buried by Saturday. Wow. Yeah. And so she prayed for a holy death. I know she told me that. But then in a powerful way, the prayer was answered. So then we when we gathered for her funeral mass, there's my dad in the wheelchair, still so sick. And we entered the church and the baptismal garment is placed over my map my mother's coffin and the holy water reminding us of her baptism, you couldn't help but think about, about my grandparents when they brought her to the church for their baptism and how my great-grandparents were there and all our relatives and ancestors, they were part of that baptism and bringing her to the church. And then as the casket is proceeds, we proceed down towards the Eucharistic table, we know that that was the intent of the baptism in the first place. So we're always journeying towards that Eucharistic table and and the foretaste of the heavenly banquet. My mother lived that way. She Mm. lived that way, that that was always part of her journey. She wasn't afraid of dying. She talked about it as if she was ready for it. So when Mass began, all of a sudden, the anxiety and uh, about my father's care and what was going to happen and the sadness escaped me. I received this tremendous grace and joy that my mother was now resting with the Lord, that she, she had got her heavenly reward for this amazing life she had lived. And this, it takes away the sadness that my sadness, that she's no longer with me, 
but the joy that she is with the Lord and the joy for her and that we hope to be with her again mm. one day. My dad would too. So what a tremendous gift it was to celebrate this familiar funeral liturgy that it was familiar because I had celebrated that for my grandparents and and that was a comforting time to have this ritual experience and this those symbols of this celebration speak to me loudly that way that she's with the Lord. That's such a beautiful testimony and I especially love this image that you've given us that you've reminded us of of the baptismal waters being sprinkled upon the casket and you're remembering your mother's parents, you brought her to those baptismal waters. And, you know, we were thinking about accompaniment here, which is actually in the subtitle of your book, accompanying your father. But in this case, it was the company that brought your mother to baptism, this company of those living in the church. And you were part of the company that brought her to her resting place. And then thinking ahead, as you were saying, towards this hope of being reunited with her in her company. It sounds to me like part of what the liturgy gave you were these markers of this company that brings us from life to death back into life. And I don't know, I just want to kind of like echo that back to you and and ask for your thoughts on that, because it seems, especially maybe for many people in the world who don't have who haven't had the gift of the liturgy in this way or of the life of the church, that's precisely what many people would want and don't find, that continuing company. And so could you say, yeah, I don't know, could you say more about that, this uh, sense of company and, and desiring company and finding company? Well, in, in the celebration of liturgy, all time and space collapses. Hmm. That means that we're celebrating the same sacrifice at, at Calvary. That's that very same sacrifice. We are, we are joined with all those that have gone before us in faith. They're all present at the, that liturgy, at every liturgy. And so that's why we call it the, the foretaste of the heavenly banquet. We're in the already, not yet. We're already rejoicing with the Lord and those that have gone before us, but not mm-hmm. in the fullest sense that we will be one day soon. So what a comfort that is. I think you can you can be suspended over all the, the daily trials and tribulations, knowing that God is with us. God has suffered um, for us. And, and that in that vision of suffering of Jesus on the cross, you know, that's how much we are loved. We are loved and we're called to love others. And that that love lives on even when our loved ones are called on to heaven. But that's what remains with us in a powerful way. They're gone home to the Lord. Their love surrounds us and fills us in, in a really deep way. And I, I can still feel the love of my parents mm. with me. Mm. This is Leonard Lorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on the Spoke Street Media Network. I'm joined today by Noreen Madden McInnes, Director of Liturgy and Spirituality for the Diocese of San Diego and author of Keep At It, Riley, Accompanying My Father Through Death Into Life. You mentioned feeling your parents with you still. I wonder, 
about your relationship with your parents now, which we say as part of the funeral rite that the for your faithful people, Lord, life has changed, not ended. Your That's life right. and your life with your parents now who have died, but as you're saying, live with you still, their love is with you still. How has your relationship with them changed? I think it's it's deeper right now because now, you know, it's interesting that there we always people say, oh, it's nature versus nurture, but it's it's nature and nurture mm. and the communion with the Lord as as Christians. So I feel I still have their DNA in coursing through my veins. They brought me up. It's their strong faith and Irish culture that I was steeped in is, is all my part of my past and my present. And then as the faith in, in our Lord that we are united as one in the body of Christ, which transcends time, past, present, and future, our our God is the I am and holds us all together as one. So in a way, you look at my relationship with the parent as my parents, but through the lens of God that I see what a gift they have given me. And I also see that were they perfect parents? No, they weren't. So, And was I a perfect child? Absolutely not. We don't have to give you details right now. How about we do a second episode on that? (laughs) But so I see them with the lens of the Lord. I Mm. see the gift they have been to me and with great gratitude for what they've given me. And, And now that I am a grandmother, I'm so excited to be able to, to hope to, to pass all that on to them. Yeah. That's fantastic. So, for those who haven't read, and I talked a little bit about this in the intro, your book, you talked a little bit here today about the death of your mother, and that was really the beginning also of your last stage of your relationship with your father as his, you know, taking over primary care for him, accompanying him towards his death, and as you say, into life. One of the things that, there's so many things in, in what you wrote that really spoke to me, but one of the things that caught my eye and I keep thinking about is you write at one point that welcoming Frank, your dad, welcoming Frank to our home was when life began for us. You're speaking especially of you and your husband. So life began. You've raised your kids. You've you know gone through everything that's involved in that, but your your elderly father came to live with you. And that's, you're saying, when life began in a way, tell us about that. How did life begin <laughs> for you when Frank came to live in your dining room, which is where you had to set up his bed? Well, there's a, this uh, old joke I like to tell is when mm-hmm. does life begin? It's like, oh, it's when the dog dies and all the kids leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell my puppy that when I get home. But, <laughs> but you know, when, when Frank came, I think I was a little a lot nervous because I'm squeamish around medical issues Mm. and all this. And our house became a bit of chaos because now he's in the dining room and we have people coming and going constantly. And 
was that bad? No, it was so rich. It was so beautiful. You know, our focus was on him and the joy to be able to help him because before he's in Pennsylvania, I'm in California, it was so frustrating. So now I was right there with him. We were able to, to laugh together and talk and talk old times and develop a deeper relationship. We, we are now living in the house together after, you know, 30 years. So uh-huh. it was nice. So and the funniest thing is somebody would come into the house to help him, but he would always turn it to them. Yeah. He always wanted to know who they were and what they did and what their family is. And he was always saying, well, you know, you know, you don't want it. You go back to school or you can do better at that or do this. And he was just so cute. They would always leave the house with a smile. And like, that was a bright spot in their day. So it was just so cute. Yeah. I loved it. And so it opened my eyes Instead of seeing this aging and sickness as this very sad, depressing downward spiral, I able to see that, you know, in his last days, he was still able to minister to others. And he was on his way to heaven. And similar to my mother, I sad for me to see him leave this world, but I know God was calling him home. His body was really declining, and and so God was going to send the angels to bring him home to be with him. And so I was given the peace that that's where he was headed, and know that he would be in the comfort of the Lord soon. Well, I think about everything you've shared about how you cared for Frank and what all went into that and opening up your home and becoming somewhat of an expert in (laughs) some ways on various types of medical care and the support that would be needed. And I wonder, you know, when you, when you talk about how people came to care for your dad or to visit your dad, he also became a source of life for them. He wasn't just the recipient of their generosity and care. He was a source of generosity and care for them. Do you think about how your efforts and your love for him enabled him to be himself in that way in these last days of his life, his last months of his life, to be that large and generous presence that you had known him to be and to give him the comfort and the dignity of continuing to be himself for others? I suppose in the way, I, I mean, I don't take any credit for him and his charisma, but uh-huh. I, I guess I maybe we set himself up to be to be himself yeah, he could be yeah. himself in his charming way and you know and i i think people shouldn't be afraid to do that to welcome their parents into their home and to give them you know the comforts and you know i i guess i i mostly learned that yeah i was afraid about the medical care but really what he really needed was love you mm. know he just needed love and and a smile and you know a warm cup of coffee and a little <laughs> conversation and you know and we prayed together and all that so I, I suppose if whatever I gave him allowed him to be himself then thanks be to God for that thanks be to God amen This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on the Spoke Street Media Network. I'm joined today 
by Noreen Madden McGinnis, Director of Liturgy and Spirituality for the Diocese of San Diego, author of Keep At It, Riley, Accompanying My Father Through Death Into Life. I wonder if we could, for a little bit more, Noreen, talk about the kind of support and care that's needed for somebody that was in the condition your father was, who was very much on in life, had some significant illnesses. He was requiring a lot of care back in Pennsylvania. He required a special kind of care even to move him to your home in San Diego. And then the care that was provided in the home, both by you and your husband, and then by other caregivers who were hired to to help and to surround him with that care. You had a deep dive into this, this world of end-of-life care. What did you come to see about that? Because your dad was in the position, thanks be to God, to receive and to have the resources to receive that care and had the people who could invest in him. But it was complicated, wasn't it? It was challenging and difficult and confusing. What did you come to learn about all of that? I came to learn to trust in God. Mm. I knew nothing. I would just start each day opening my heart, my hands, my mouth, my ears to just to try to be Christ to others and and just trust. Pray the breastplate of St. Patrick. Um, turn my my time, my day, my life over to the Lord. And then starting with that. <laughs> I was able to reach out and and find the most incredible people. I found the doctor, the at-home doctor, was one of the parishioners I had known for years. He had a little ad in the church bulletin that I'm a, a, doc, a doctor, mobile doc. Oh, so wow. I called him. <laughs> yeah. Reading those church bulletins really pay off. <laughs> <laughs> So he's the one that that came to the house and yeah. kind of got the ball rolling. I'm yeah. like, okay, so now what else do we need? And and with him and his that started to find some nursing companies that would provide the at-home care. So we needed my dad's a large man. He needed people that knew a lot about care and moving and and this kind of thing. I found some like these living saints. Really, they're mm. like the most beautiful people that that came to the house, and they became part of our family. Some were Catholic, and some would pray with me and my dad, and we'd get out hymnals and sing songs with him, and would say that that just they became family members that took care of Frank and and me too. I yeah. I needed some yeah. that was new to me to see these members of this healthcare community that were just so selfless and and being there for others for their physical needs as well as as uh, spiritual too. And then we were in and out of the hospital a couple only a couple times. Thanks be to God. I was so glad we didn't have to go to the hospital that much. And even there, it was opened my eyes to what was what was happening there in the hospital and um and the care to and the hope and you know to stay strong because the interesting part about my dad was even though he had comorbidities, which is the word I learned that meaning there was so many things that could take his life in a, in a second. He still was a full code patient, meaning he wanted every possible treatment that the medical world had to keep him alive. 
It was part of his keep at it Riley story. I tell you, my mother was ready to go home to the Lord. My dad's like, oh no, I've got life to live and <laughs> things to do. And so he was strong that way. So my role was to to make sure everyone understood it. He want this is what he wants. He wants to every any treatment necessary to keep him going. And so everybody was on board with that. That was his choice. But it wasn't until he got to the point where he said, he was in the hospital. He said, take me home. I'm ready to go home. And I knew, I knew he knew what that meant. That going home from the hospital meant hospice care. He knew that that was his, now his time to go home to God. And he said it so loud. He said, take me home. I want to go home. I know he wanted me to remember that that was his choice. Yeah. <laughs> Keep at it rightly that he was, he made the call. He was ready for God to come and take him home. So proud of him. Yeah. <laughs> What a beautiful gift of himself, I'm, I'm thinking, in terms of giving himself in that way to God, the way he gave himself to you and to so many for all those years. And just reading your words about him, I feel like I've known him. He's, he's such a large personality. As you said, he was a large man, but the, the personality of your father comes through in your words and his humor and his mirth <laughs> that I think for those of us who have the benefit of reading your testimony about him, we come to know this beautiful, vibrant man uh, who yeah. many of us have never met, but we, you've given us the gift of knowing your father, which is so lovely. I know. I, I, I wear the, the Claude ring uh -huh. that my dad gave to my mom, and I just wear it so proudly. I just really think of him in the, with the symbol, the Claude symbol of the large heart between two hands with a crown on top. It just... Uh -huh. He was just always offering his heart to others and always kind of tugging yours back towards him. Is that right? The crown, uh, the crown of his, you know, it was the crown of his life to be yeah. in relationships like that. And as I say, that love is still with me today in a real powerful way. What a beautiful thing. You know, we started with talking about ritual a bit, the rituals of the liturgy and the way in which that helped and guided the accompaniment of your parents into death with you and your family. It had brought them into life through their baptism and then hopefully again into the life of God after their death. But and we talked about this a little bit before, another kind of ritual maybe we can think about that you have been engaged in in bringing this testimony toward others was this ritual of writing, the act of memory and of communication that you've engaged in to go back on these days and years that you had spent with your parents towards the end of their life and accompanying them into death. What did this mean for you or what was your experience of going over this in your memory, the way you saw it, and then being able to write about it? Was there a ritual involved or what did this change for you or draw forth from you? Well, the invitation to the right to write the book uh, came as a surprise from Charlie Camozzi. Uh -huh. I was so honored to be invited. But beyond that, it was just, I have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to shout from the rooftops this love story that was such a gift to me to be able to be with my parents. I wanted others to know that God, not only you 
accompany your parents, but God accompanies you Mm -hmm. through it. And it's just, in the end, such a gift. So Charlie said, okay, well, can you can you have this written by St. Patrick's Day? Have it <laughs> released on St. Patrick's, which gave me about a year. And so, okay, all right. I thought that's so perfect because my dad just loved being Irish Catholic. Yeah. And uh, I thought there's nothing better. So that was kind of my underlying motivator to tell this Irish Catholic story and have it come out on St. Patrick's Day. Because, you know, the avatar for my dad is a Notre Dame fighting Irish leprechaun. That is him. And so he, the stories keep at it, Riley, and he did in life. And I thought, well, I could too. (laughs) I was going to take on that avatar as well. So, but how did I make that deadline? How did I do it? Well, I have a full-time job at the Diocese of San Diego, so... The only way to do it is I got up at 4 a.m. every morning and I would make a cup of strong coffee and put it in my Notre Dame mug and I would light my St. Jude candle and I'd have a bouquet of hydrangeas nearby that my husband always gives me. But it reminded me of the hydrangeas outside the back door of my parents' house and mountaintop and a bit of Ireland as well. And I'd sit in front of my laptop And I want to tell you, the book wrote itself. Mm. It was was like I had this covenant with God that if I put myself in front of the laptop, that he would help me. And I just became fully disposed and open to the Lord to, to tell this amazing, amazing story. I just had to keep at it, Riley, too. The fruit of that gift has, I think, now begun to redound to many, many people. I count myself among one of the recipients of that gift to be able to read your words and now to be able to talk to you a little bit about your experience accompanying your father and also your mother into death and through death into life. So thank you for for this gift and for the beautiful witness to your parents that you've given to us. Oh, thank you for inviting me on. and. You know, it was a, a gift. I just think it's just been handed down the generations and I see the strength there and hope to pass it on, not just to my children, but to everyone to know that God is with us through all things and that we can keep at it rightly. The love of the Lord. Amen. <laughs> trust in the Lord. <laughs> my guest today has been Noreen Madden McKinnis. Her book, Keep At It, Riley, Accompanying My Father Through Death Into Life, published by New City Press, part of their Magenta series. Thank you to all of you for joining us on Church Life today. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com. Elevate 150 Financial Checkups at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Here's how it works. Go online and schedule a 30-minute phone call. They'll guide you through your credit report to find ways to improve your financial health. 
Then they'll send $150 in your name to Redeemer Radio. For information, visit NotreDameFCU.com slash Elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame FCU. <laughs> 